Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the 3P Champions podcast. I'm Rob Stoller in Philadelphia. I'm Greg Stern in Seattle. Yes, you are, brother. You're the best. <laughs> We're so happy to present another exemplary individual on 3P Champs today. Uh, Matt Santangelo was a sensational and elite basketball player at Gonzaga University and, and played professionally in Europe. But that's not really the point of this program. Matt has actually made basketball his career at this point, uh, but he talks about raising kids, about helping people, about taking pride in work. He's a hardworking guy. He was a hardworking player. Uh, he never took anything for granted. And I think the value in this piece is just listening to Matt's philosophies and perspective on life and on being the best person you can be. And again, Greg brought Matt to this party and knows more about him from the time Matt was an active player and, uh, and about their friendship since then. So Greg, fill us in a little bit about Matt Santangelo. Yeah, another great guy and a basketball junkie. Um, if you don't know Matt, Matt was on the 1999 Gonzaga University basketball team. It was kind of the first year they broke into the, the big ranks. They took the team down in the final eight, had some big upset wins, and he was the kind of the leader of the team. You know, he could run a team, he could score, he could shoot, he could, he could pass. But uh, I think the biggest thing, he's an assist guy, and I think that's what he does in life. He's an assist guy. And so, you know, recently he was working with HoopFest, which is the largest three-on-three tournament in the world, as the director. So he ran it. And this, this organization serves the community in many ways and many foundations. So his goal with that is to make it the better than it was and, and to help a lot of people. Matt's a, a community guy that everybody loves. He's a hard worker. He's passionate about helping people. And I've got to see him play ball and work in the atmosphere of HoopFest. And he's a winner. So I think people like his story, get to see his background where he grew up, which was Portland. Basketball was his platform forever, and he just kind of took that to the next level. Yeah, I mean, this isn't really about basketball as much as it is taking pride in the way you present yourself and in being as good as you can be. And he describes his leadership philosophy. He, he compares it to being a point guard. And that his job as a point guard was to make everyone around him better. And that's what he tries to do, even on a business level, a corporate level. I, I think the guy's a pleasure to listen to. Plus, he's so candid and he's so emotional and passionate about everything that it, I found it contagious. And I think our audience will, too. So without any further ado... Here's Matt Santangelo on 3P Champs. I think basketball starts out as fun. I grew up uh, youngest of nine kids. Yeah. Uh, five sisters and three brothers. And like, I loved just shooting around in the driveway. Like I just, I love, like, I think it's sacrilegious to, for an empty gym to exist. I think every gym should be, people should be shooting baskets. Yeah. But I like to do it on my own. Like I yeah. would sit there and I would do the classic, you know, count down the clock, you know, make or miss the shot. If I miss it, we're going into overtime. Another, you know, the end of overtime, oh, yeah. double overtime, you know, triple. Finally make it. It was my imagination that continued to reinforce the love of the game because I like to just go outside and shoot. I still do. I like to go outside 
and shoot around. I like to go outside and now as I'm older, even work on my ball handling, like all the things you're trying to get kids to do. Like for some reason, I'm wired to where I like that kind of stuff. Um, and then you start to see the other benefits as you kind of grow up in this game. It starts out as fun. For me, it, it, it really grabbed my imagination. Uh, and then the game really, really takes root inside your heart. And then you'll never get it out. Once it's in the blood, it's not going anywhere. It's always going to be a part of it. In the pecking order of your nine siblings, where do you fit into that? Uh, the favorite. <laughs> is, that an, is that an answer? Uh, I, I'm the baby. I'm, uh, I got, so I, I am the youngest by my poor sweet mom was pregnant seven years in a row. One, two, three, four, five, a miscarriage, and then six. So seven years in a row, she was pregnant. And then there was a six-year break to twin girls. Wow. And then a seven-year break to me. So uh, you could call me a mistake. I prefer surprise. Um, (laughs) Way down the line. Yeah. So lots of, so they were, so I didn't have kind of the sibling rivalry there. You know, they were all so much older. I more had like a supportive family. Um, and you know, obviously a lot of people to look up to, but didn't quite grow up, you know, with that, that brother, older brother beating on me or older, but it was more like mental and emotional warfare because I was closer in age to the sisters than, than the brother. So it was more my emotion, my emotional intelligence got developed a lot more than my physical did. <laughs> where, where your, where did the uh, love of basketball emerge? Who, uh, who instilled it? Yeah. So I, re- there's pictures of me before I remember, um, had built up a little stand to look out the window that overlooked our driveway where my brothers would play. Um, I would say my entire family are game players more so than, I mean, they were all athletic. Don't get me wrong, but we like, if we were waiting for a bus or an airplane, as I started traveling, my dad would have us pitching pennies against the wall. Like we were just, it's always a game and winning wasn't necessarily the priority of the outcome. It was just literally about engaging and doing something. You know, we had to be, you know, ping pong pool, I always joke that my sisters who maybe didn't have the uh, athletic experience, but if you throw something at them, they catch it. Mm. You know, it's just like the hand-eye coordination was kind of part of the family and you just kind of played games and weren't necessarily great at anything, but we could kind of like, even now you go pick up a pickleball or go play volleyball or go, go for a run or go for a bike ride. Like we were all kind of generally active and willing to, to go do things. And so basketball for me was, just watching my, my older siblings out in the driveway. And then eventually, you know, like I said, cause I was there so much older, it was just was kind of a past the time thing that I could go do by myself. and didn't necessarily have to have the organization or coordination, certainly that our kids do now, the structure, just like I go to the driveway, I would put my boom box on and, and I would disappear for hours at a time, just loving the game. When did either you realize, or when did somebody tell you, you were special? Who gave you the belief uh, in yourself to become great? I never once thought I was good. And I, I'll use John Stockton's example. I was never once been the best player on the team. But I was, I matured early, meaning I was about this height in eighth grade. I was dunking as a freshman. I was really thin, but like I, I was skilled. And I really prided myself. I had great coaching. And I prided myself on the fact that I was just going to outwork you. And that, all that time in the driveway by myself, because... I never wanted to be limited on something that I could control. And I think I understood that from a very young age. So like, I never wanted to be limited to the fact that I can't dribble left-handed because I didn't work on it. I'm like, man, I, I put in the time, like you force, I dare you to force me left-handed, yeah. you know, because I, I know it works because I've, I've worked, I've developed it. And so I, I kind of, even at a young age, for whatever reason, understood the idea of controlling what you can control 
because so many variables are outside of our control. You know, I can't always make the jumper go in, but I can make sure my form is tight. And, that, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to help me percentage wise. That's going to work out in my favor. So seventh grade was year round and I was all in, you know, I was, it was, I was wired for it. Like I, I, at that point, I remember I had a really tough, really talented AAU coach. His name was Howard Avery. Howard made me cry one day in practice. You know, I, he, he, he got into me so much. He told me I would never be good at basketball because I was raised too well because I had two loving parents, not because I, I don't come from anything, but I have two loving parents and that would preclude me from ever being uh, good at this very competitive world. And I went home and cried. And I remember sitting in my basement in my bed that night, just kind of crying myself to sleep. And I, I don't know what it was, but again, kind of a weird moment, but I remember the moment because it was like, either I got to quit this thing right now, or I'm going to chase this thing. I got to chase this thing for all I got. And I, at seventh grade, it was way too much pressure to put on a seventh grader, self-inflicted. But it was like, I got to go after this. And so I, I modeled my life. This is what I want to do. I was a good student because you have to be a good student to be a good basketball player. I didn't party. I wasn't worried about friends. I wasn't worried about any of this because I, I was laser focused on being the best I could possibly be. And I don't know why. I don't know why it, it that made sense to me at that moment in time. And I modeled my life from that moment on accordingly. I mean, I can't tell you how many things I had written up on my, my bathroom, bathroom mirror. Uh, and one, the brand and one had a t-shirt that said, you know, uh, someone somewhere is practicing right now. And when they meet you in head to head competition, they will beat you. I put that up on my mirror. And as a seventh grader, I'm every day, like someone's practicing somewhere who's going to kick my ass. Like, Oh, I got to get out and practice. You know, like who does that? Like, I don't, you know, but that was what I just did. And it wasn't pressure. wasn't parental pressure. It wasn't sibling pressure. It was just, I wanted to be really, really good. And the only real measure of that is so that people, you know, Rob is really kind. You said some kind words about my basketball experience, but I just remember, you know, the three of us could talk about so many different athletes. We'd be like, that guy could play, you know, there's always like, maybe it's a guy that none of us have heard about. We, we met him in school. We played with him in one and we like, man, Greg could play. Like, I always just wanted to be the one guy that three strangers sitting around like, dang, Matt could play. And that's what, that's what motivated me to do it. Well, you are that guy. Oh. You are. And there are people talking about you. I wonder if that coach Avery did that to light a fire under your ass. It worked. He, <laughs> now, do you consider him one of your great coaches? or? Oh, yeah. He was one of the sharpest minds I've ever been around. And I believe he's either in prison or recently out of prison. Two of my best coaches, Steve Gordon, Greg Stern, uh, over on your side of the state, and Howard Avery, both are criminals. So that's why I know <laughs> – the best basketball is going to be played in hell. Cause if you're good at basketball, you have a character fault somewhere else. It ain't going to happen in heaven. Now it's happening down below because that's where we're all going to end up. If you can play ball. Well, yeah, but then you got the Lenny Wilkinses, you know, Yeah, that balances us out a little bit. That's sure. Lenny has enough, enough, uh, uh, good deposits and to carry a lot of us up with him. Hey man, what do you think about this? You know, one thing I've noticed, you know, going through my career and looking back at now, now as I'm, I'm coaching kids and my own kid, I always look into the personality type. What makes a guy like you, somehow you took that challenge and, and innately you said, you know what, I'm committed to this. I'm in some level, you're going to, you're going to prove that guy wrong. Yeah. But I, some kids just don't give a shit. They play and have fun. But like me, I, I, I think I like to like people saying, Hey, made me feel good. I'm like, I'm going to work harder for that. But for yeah. you, 
you you have that. I tell my son, he's kind of got that natural thing most people don't have, and that's just a drive, a, a challenging drive. You want to be better. What do you think about it? some kids have it, some kids don't? To me, obviously, you had that. Do you see that uh, with your own kids, other kids? I know you coach. Yeah. There's a personality type. There is, and I think like just you know firsthand. I love my my kids are great. They're not wired that way. It's a yeah. different. It's a it's a little bit. It's a different um, relatability. So sometimes it, it makes it hard as a parent to, you know, identify what buttons to push, because, you know, for me, it's that fight or flight, like it's always always kind of a fight. And I think that is kind of a biological characteristic where it's like, Oh, no, you challenge me. What are we doing here? Like, are we are we really doing this? Or, or what? And then once you beat me up, it's like, okay, I'm gonna go learn how to fight now, because I'm not feeling that way ever again, like that sucked. And I don't want to feel it. Now, for me, especially in the years, the years that we're talking about kind of the formative years, I was awkward. Like it was much easier for me to go shoot baskets and imagine talking to a girl than actually going to talk to a girl. So it allowed me to kind of create that identity. And then the, the beautiful thing about it is, is once you have purpose and once you have, uh, you know, a skill set, then you kind of get those accolades or that attention. So as opposed to going out to get the attention, hmm. I went out to, to work on a craft because I, I was scared of the attention. And ironically, it brought the attention. I don't know if that makes sense, but in the great you know, brand oh. wisdom of the universe, um, it got me through all those awkward years is just going and, and working on basketball. And then that created an identity for me unintentionally. You're obviously as passionate as anybody can be and you wear it on your sleeve. And I like that. And you've got a purpose because you're helping a lot of kids and you've made a life out of it. And principles is what we're talking about here. So the thing that I'm constantly just impressed by the people we've spoken with, you know, you said you still don't believe you're special, great. That's kind of a common characteristic among these, these guys. We haven't spoken with many women yet, but these people, all of them were great by any standards, but none of them would tell you they were. Obviously, some people recognized this kid's got a world of potential and he's a hard worker and he's not full of himself. And that's, that's a recipe for a successful kid. But there had to be some people who said, you know, Matt, you, you, you can be great. Certainly my parents. I mean, I have, you know, big family, really driven. We talk about principles. That all comes from my house. You know, that all comes from home. I recognize that they were really proud. Like they were, <laughs> they were really, really proud. Um, and that was enough for me. You know, that, that was, that, they didn't, there was no pressure. You know, they, my, my sweet mom drove me all over Portland to practices and things, but I didn't, I didn't go to camps. We didn't have money for camps. I didn't go like, it was, you know, car washes. And I remember I, one year I got in a, uh, went to the Italian businessmen's club or whatever in Portland. And they gave me a scholarship because I got a big nose and my name ends in a vowel. <laughs> They're like, this kid, we're going to, you know, you're going to help me pay for his summer you know, his summer travel. Um, so it was a lot of hustle. My dad, my dad actually ran um, pretty funny. He ran the largest bingo game in the state of Oregon Wow! for our parish. And that's how we all went to Catholic schools. He, they sent all nine of us through Catholic schools, through service, through volunteerism, through being in the community. And so, you know, that example was, was, it was right there and it was never, it was never preachy. It was never like, you have to do these things. It was just, we, they lived as values. My parents lived their values. And so, um, 
so there was a lot of hustle. So like to have, and I think that, you know, lends itself to my gratitude because I didn't do it by myself. You know, I had coaches that saw, you know, I put in time, I had coaches that gave me the opportunity. Um, and then they did instill, they, they gave me enough, uh, opportunity to be able to learn that I was good or bad, you know, because I was in the game, they gave me a chance to play. And one of the great things I love about basketball in general and sports in general is that one, it lays you bare. Like it, I say, basketball is the most intimate sport, right? Mm-hmm. You are running around your underwear. And if you can't dribble left-handed, you better believe there's a mom in the stands yelling, force him left-handed. You, you yeah. guarantee it. Like yeah. you are exposed for the world to see. And in sports, you are in general, I'm biased towards basketball. Then the other thing I think the sports do is that it, it, it's a safe place to fail. Like that's probably the most valuable lesson of sports is how to lose, you know, and I've lost more than most people have played. Right. And I've won a lot more than I've lost. So like it, you, every time you get exposed, what are you, are you going to get back up or not? Mm. And so I think that that's a beautiful lesson um, in sports in general and basketball. In my case, that you just learn, you learn that you get back up and you learn that you take the next shot and you learn that you go guard the guy that just, you know, broke your ankles. Like you have to. Um, and so I, I really, really appreciate that. And those are the things I think that it's our responsibility to get these kids doing these things because it's not so much the college scholarship or the, you know, the social media, or if you're lucky enough to make money doing it, it's those lessons that prepare you for life. Uh, not the sexy, not the flashy stuff, the sexy stuff, but it's the grind and the grit that you learn. That's the most valuable. Yeah. I look at my kids, my, uh, junior in high school has played his first two years of high school and played obviously grade school all through eighth grade. I have an eighth grader who's played. Um, I'm assuming he'll at least give it a shot in high school when he gets there. Uh, but they didn't have the same, we talked about like the same wiring that I did. They don't have the same kind of drive that I have or I had or connection to the game. Maybe they have the same drive but not the necessary <laughs> connection to basketball. And so I keep thinking about that and here in Spokane being tied to Gonzaga university and now tied to hoop fest, like we can't, there's not a day that goes by that we don't have a ball bouncing in our life, you know, literally or figuratively. But my big thing with them was that like, I want them to have just a healthy relationship with the game. If they play basketball every day for the rest of their lives, or if they never touch a ball again for the rest of their lives, they, there can't be that resentment. And we all know, the guy that's pissed off at the bar because the high school coach didn't play him or whatever. And they're thought, and that it literally impacts the rest of their, their character, their personality throughout the rest of their life. So I want my, my kids, my goal was is like, and as much as it hurt me because it wasn't necessarily on the path of playing basketball um, was like, they just have to have a healthy relationship with it. They can't resent it. They can't resent what it's created for our life. Um, you know, our home and, and everything else, they got to have a healthy relationship. So it may be some of us old heads adjusting, you know, how, where we see the value in the game versus just trying to just, this is the way it has to be. Cause this is the way we experienced it. Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard thing for us. Cause we really, in a lot of ways we got to kind of swallow our ego a little bit to figure out how does basketball going to fit in this next generation's life. And that also brings up the issue of parenting. Oh, I know it, it's different, but it's related. <laughs> yeah and i i like one of the great silver linings of covid was getting parents out of the gym when we finally got to play basketball again and parents like i always thought we should create a gym that was like a dance studio with the two-way mirrors mm. so the parents that sit on the outside and they can still see yeah but the poor kids we have one high school west valley greg um in their old gym what we call the thunderdome 
they do their cheerleading. So under this roll up door are mirrors, but the mirrors are behind the players benches. And then the, 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 the bleachers are on the other side. So I always thought we should just roll those up. So parents would be like, they'd be like, Oh my God, who's that asshole that keeps yelling? Oh shit, that's me. You know, like they'd actually be able to see themselves be idiots, you know? And so, uh, so we've, you know, battled that a lot. And I, I struggled. I really, really struggled without the wisdom and guidance of my wife with our oldest child, because it was my ego that hurt when he couldn't do the things, you know, like I struggled. I, and I walk into a gym and I felt all eyes were on me unfairly, you know, they weren't, but I, that's the way I felt. And I, it was just not a great, I wasn't a great father or mentor to my son. I really struggled with that for a few years until I kind of matured through it. You know, I matured through it. And so um, I do think that's a really, really hard spot. And it's unfortunate because again, we're not only, you were just cheating them out of what is a really valuable experience. If we let them trip over themselves and, and let them figure out a way to push themselves back up off the ground. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a huge learning experience for the parents. In theory, yes, we're supposed to be their their disciplinarians, but we're supposed to be their biggest fans. Sure. Like, and yeah. I know, and so even when as I say that, <laughs> then you start to think about generationally how much softer these kids are. And you know, I don't think my dad ever sat and had a conversation like this around how we just gotta be his biggest fan and love on him and squeeze him. But this is what I the genie's not going back in the bottle. Like, I gotta teach these kids how to be tough. I gotta teach, I gotta teach the young my daughter how to be tough. I gotta teach the young men to be vulnerable and be able to express their emotions. Like parenting now is a lot more complex, I think, than it was for our parents. Like our parents, it was like food and shelter. And then you were, you were all-stars. Like yeah. now we got to care for the whole person. And it's like, it's all these moving parts. Yeah. And there's no, there's no one, one right way to do something too. You know, like there's so many different ways to lead this life and, and, and be a, a good, you know, good human. You know, there's obviously a million different ways to be a bad human too, but there's just no one right way to do it. You try to expose yourself to as much as you can expose yourself and take the nuggets and I mean that lifelong learner and, and just kind of being open to the journey and, and really that, that approach that, you know, some of us have a natural optimism and some of us don't, you know? And so it's like, even, you know, I love like the, I wouldn't have loved this as a kid, but I love either I win or I learn like there's no losing. Mm. And like I said, I play enough to where I, Tech, I, I take a lot of L's. I just look at them as learning experiences and not losses. Yeah. Um, and you kind of, and like that to me has become a habit in my own life. And it, maybe it's kind of perpetuated in situations like this where I'm talking to, you know, Greg and I become friends. I'm talking to a stranger and I cry. You just roll with it. Like, yeah, yeah it's not, not the most comfortable feeling in the world, but it's like, I speak from my heart. I believe in it. And I've been uncomfortable enough to where I, I recognize the emotion, move on. Where did you hear that uh, I win or I learn thing? Or did you make that up? No, I wish I could take credit, Rob. I don't have, there's not one original thought. I don't think I've ever had one. original. In any thought. of us, in any of yeah. us. But that's a brilliant, um, that's a brilliant little adage. I think it's like an Instagram meme. Um, and I, I like that one. I mean, I think if I were talking to like a John Stockton, he would make fun of me for being soft. But um, he's like, oh, we don't, we don't take L's one way or the other. We just win, win, win. Um, Uh, and uh, he and I would tease each other about that, but, um, I do like that idea. And as we said, like, that's the, you know, one of the greatest lessons for sports is how to lose. Um, and so I think, you know, not necessarily as you get older and, and, the the games aren't as easily defined as who wins and who loses, but you're taking these little lessons and you're learning all the way through. Now we both know your passion has been basketball and you went to college, had a great career, and then you went overseas and you had another career. 
at what point did you now, after your career was over, fall back into your passion after? Because I know you had some other jobs. Was there a yeah. time that you're like, because I'm, I'm assuming everything you do, you, you probably give your best effort. But there's a point where you're like, God, this shit this is not me. Did you have that moment with your career after basketball? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. So I, what I did, I went to financial services, so, so completely outside the game and then into insurance. So both corporate, both on sales, the sales side of the, the, the business, um, a lot of relationship. Um, I'm really, really thankful I did. And I had a teammate, Mike Nielsen, who a teammate mentor and one of my best friends, he was kind of, you know, at the time, a little perplexed that I would get all this blood, sweat and tears and institutional knowledge of the game that I had garnered over 30 years of my life. Like, why would you kind of just not give it away, but why would you go outside of that for the next job? And I just, I thought about my, my makeup and it's like, it's kind of like the next challenge. You know, how do you apply these things? What was interesting about financial services was there was a, a significant level of sophistication to what we were selling and a significant level of sophistication to the customer, which were very successful individuals or families. Um, across a wide range of industries and businesses. So it was a really a great crash course lesson um, for me. And I was there a little over five years, lived through the Great Recession and financial services. So um, some adversity for sure. Well, at that point, I was like, I want to own what I'm doing. Like, it, these are what, these are all the models I'm seeing. The, the, the common thread was ownership. And because we were going after such a high net worth individual, like we were going after the 1% of the 1%. And so I wanted to get into an, a field or an arena where um, my audience was bigger. I could sell to more people because of my network here in Spokane and, and my access. And as I was becoming a little bit, um, a little more professional, uh, understanding that and trying to leverage that network. So then I went into insurance. I was in health insurance. And the idea was that I would build my book of business and help one of the older partners exit and then kind of get into ownership of the business. Well, this is also um, sufficiently sophisticated. And I always say like health insurance, they make it so confusing that you need a professional to translate the language. Like it shouldn't be so confusing, but it is. So they, it's almost like job security. We're going to make this so, you know, so tough that you need someone to help you. Well, so now I've gone into two career paths outside of basketball where I was almost literally at every table I sat at the dumbest dude in the room. Like it was, it was inevitable. It has its own language. It has its own cadence, its own acronyms. Like just understanding the, the, how to interact with people was a challenge. Well, then HoopFest came calling. So what I realized there is that it's maybe not ownership. I want it's leadership. I want to be able to build my own team, build culture, um, have impact on where this or the end organization is going. And ironically, HoopFest kind of came calling through Terry Kelly um, and Mike Nielsen introduced me to TK uh, TK was a board member at the time. And so what I, what I learned through that process was now I was kind of coming back to like my original, my love language, right? I, 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 now all of a sudden I was credible. I'm still not the smartest guy in the room, never will be, but now I'm a credible source with the content that I talk about. It's basketball. It's what we've exactly what we've talked about for the last 45 minutes. Then they, I was in this role of leadership. How do we structure this? How do we build it? How do we continue to make it? It was already awesome. So how do we continue to keep its excellence? and created a, a huge challenge. Now, I don't know if I'll always be here. Like, I'm not saying like, it doesn't have to be because the habits I'm learning are based in the game of basketball, but they're applicable across a lot of different things. So I think passion, I think purpose more than passion is a, the P that stands out to me. Yeah. Because I think you can find purpose and de develop purpose and, and 
that it's not specific. And actually when, you know, especially kids, even college age kids, when I talk to students at Gonzaga or whatever, it's like, follow your passion, follow your passion. And I was like, no, you got to build your purpose. Like you're, it's an active role that you take every single day in your life. You're accountable to you. It's not like, you're not just going to discover, you're not going to find yourself. You make yourself every single day with the decisions you make, the habits you build. And I think that that's a, a change in the, where it's like life is happening to us. We're the victim of life. And that ain't right. Like we're, we're creating every single day with good or bad. Like it's, it's not always good. It's not always easy, certainly, but we are an active participant in how this life goes and how we respond to those uncontrollable variables. And so I like the idea of purpose. And I think that purpose is setting yourself up to be able to respond well when it doesn't go well, like that might be, that might be enough of the purpose versus, you know, the output at work or how we trade our time for money or whatever that looks like. It may just be like my purpose is being excellent at everything I do. And it doesn't matter if I'm doing it with my parents or my kids, you know, my relationship with my wife, you know, the relationship with the community, like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to do the best I can. That's my purpose. I think if everybody else shared that purpose and a lot of people, I think a lot of people do, a lot of people are trying hard, but combining that purpose with the fact that you are in a leadership position and we talk a whole lot about leadership and the void in many cases, I think you're in the right spot. Tell me about HoopFest and why it's important to you, why you're passionate about it, how it helps you uh, incorporate your purpose and about all the things we've talked about. Does it help kids that may just be mainstream kids who want to play hoops? Who's it cater to? Is it for the community at large? Tell me a little bit about your approach. When I, when I got started here in 2014, it was already the largest event of it. I mean, it was already magical. Like it was. And so when I got started, usually when you, when you, when there's transition at leadership is because something's broken. Like there was nothing broken at HoopFest and HoopFest was awesome. And so I remember thinking like, there's only one way it can go. Right. And it can go down. Now, remember, I just did great recession, financial services, the implementation of Obamacare and health insurance. And now I'm in large public events during a pandemic. So like I like talk about adversity, like I am built for it. So with the uh, leadership piece, like I said, only one direction it could go is down. So that was one, I could have come in with that attitude, like just don't mess it up. It's already amazing. And I remember thinking, I'm like, no, I'm like, they're literally giving me the keys to the Ferrari. Let's go see what this thing can do. Like, let's mm. go have some fun. And, and so that attitude kind of permeated my approach. Now, my, my leadership approach, I guess I can kind of harken back to being a point guard uh, and basketball is like your whole job is to make people around you better. Mm. Like, that's it. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you scored zero points, or you score 25. As long as the team wins, you've done your job. And so you got to find out how to navigate. And in my role as point guard, I could score. I wasn't just a kind of one trick pony. Like I, it was, I wasn't a great facilitator. Like if you, if Greg wasn't knocking out his jumper that day, I could take the ball and go do it myself. You know, I had that, that skill set to be able to do that. So it's always kind of hard to understand what today needs. Does today need a facilitator? Does today need a shooter? Does today Mm. need the hard ass leader? Does today need the pat on the back and the love guy? Like, what is it? Because my skill set was, I think, dynamic enough to where I could play in different sandboxes if needed. And so that was my approach here is like, just make it a, like, how do I identify strengths and weaknesses? And now I'm looking out to the office now, like strength and weaknesses of the team, internal, external, and then how do you just make everyone around you better? And so that's been my approach 
from day one, as I learned who best. And now seven years later, as I know, you know, I know it much better now. Now the organization and the event itself, like it's hard to explain until you see it. Like we really, really, I mean, I can tell anecdotal stories from, I remember we had ESPN here in 2015. Uh, they come in in April or May, they tour Spokane. You know, you're trying to explain to them like basketball as far as the eye can see and then turn around and basketball as far as the eye can see. And it's ESPN. They kind of, oh, that's cute. They pat you on the head. Like, oh, we do these community events, you know, all the time. And, and then they show up in June and they start looking around. They go like, what is happening here? And I was like, I tried to tell you like this ain't, this ain't the, you know, this isn't the cornhole championship of the world. Like this is <laughs> massive and it's a massive sea of humanity. You know, Nike's the same way, you know, bringing, when we bring Nike people up from out of town, they just, once they see it, you fall in love with it. If you're a basketball person, you can't not love Hoopfest. So what it is, is it's a great community connector. Like it's not just about getting kids to play. I had a wonderful message and I'll, I'll put them, I took a picture of it. Um, it's from Tim O'Doherty. Tim O'Doherty owns a, a bar restaurant here in town. He's a perennial player. He's played in every hoop fest we've had 33, 32 years. Um, and he sent me this one the day that we canceled. He sent me a text. He said, good morning, Tim O'Doherty here. So sorry, my friend, for you, for our city, for my business, because he's a downtown bar restaurant. So he benefits directly from the economic boom that is hoop fest. Uh, but really most because... I don't have very many years to compete in the sport I grew up loving. Your event allowed me to be 17 years old for a weekend. And that is a very difficult and beautiful thing to achieve. If there's anything outside of uh, sending you a couple million dollars I can do, please don't hesitate to call. Your event allowed me to be 17 years old for a weekend. And that is a very difficult and beautiful thing to achieve. That's what HoopFest is. Yeah. That's what, that's what it's all about. And, you, you know, you think about 6,000 teams and that many people, it's really funny because we're not a youth tournament. We're a tournament built for Greg Stern. Like we're an adult male basketball tournament and yeah. we get to put you on the biggest stage you've ever been on every June. And that's really what it's all about. And, and then you go even broader than that. You talk about 3000 volunteers. I mean, I have volunteers that take time off work. I have volunteers that pay for their own travel to come back and volunteer. I have volunteers that come up to me like, Matt, I hate basketball, but I love hoop fest. <laughs> like it is amazing. So this isn't just about playing basketball. This is hoop fest is a lot, lot bigger. Um, and it's magical. It's just really, really cool to be a part of. Why is it the East coast enjoying this extravaganza? I don't know. I think it's something around the, the socialization. I mean, 32 years of doing it. It's about the community. The It's about the community. I mean, I don't know how else to, it's something's in the water here in Spokane. And a lot of it, you know, you say like we have to create, that's when they first started when Bloomsday, which is a really large road race uh, was the largest in the world. Then you have Hoop Fest, the largest three on three tournament in the world, both in Spokane, Washington. Uh, they kind of joke that you have to create your own fun here. The other thing I love about Hoop Fest is that it's a participatory event, meaning we're so used to, we try to put this on in Vegas, we try to put it on in LA, we try to do it in Phoenix. But in Vegas, you're so used to buying a ticket and going to see the talent, right? You're going to watch, again, life is happening to you. Yeah. Hoop Fest, we are happening to life. You know, the three of us sign up, like, we're going to go play. We are the talent. You know, we, for this weekend, we are the show. And that's such a different mentality than what people are used to nowadays, because you just go watch the good people. This is about costume. I mean, we got 
ex-NBA, ex-professional athletes, ex-WNBA, to people who wear costumes. Like it's, it's everything. To people who've never played basketball before, they give it a shot this weekend. It is about access to the game in a great community spirited event. And that's what makes it unique. So I think the Phillies, the New Yorks, the Chicago's, like there's so much stuff going on that you don't, you don't shut down a city for a three on three event. We do, we shut down three square miles, 45 downtown city blocks to build hoop fest. Like where else can you do that? You know, it's funny. I, I, I grew up in New York. Now I live in Philly. I'm jealous of you guys. (laughs) So you'll appreciate this then. So in 2017, 18, uh, our visitors bureau went to rebrand the city of Spokane. It used to be near nature, near perfect. Um, I think, which just means we're close to Montana. And so they went out to community stakeholders, Hoop Fest included, and said, you know, what do you think Spokane stands for? And I'm going like, there, again, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not either talking Gonzaga basketball, AAU, Hoop Fest, the meaning of basketball, like this every single day. I said, we are a basketball town. We love it more than we should, right? There's no reason why we have so much passion in these world-class legit world-class examples of basketball. And I'm from Portland. Portland's kind of uh, mantra is keep Portland weird. It's not, it is. And it's not like, it's not like let's keep Portland eccentric and sophisticated. It's like, nah, man, screw it. We're weird. Let's just own it. Move on. (laughs) So that's why I told him, I was like, let's just own, why do we trying to recreate an identity when we have this really special one right here in front of us? Of course, pretty narrowly focused for our visitors bureau but it made a lot of sense for our board of directors. So we looked, started looking out in the world and we learned that no one had the trademark on Hooptown USA. We got the, the trademark on Hooptown USA and we said, we are gonna be, we are, Spokane is Hooptown USA. And we wanted Chicago and Philly and New York to be like, you guys are crazy. Well, then prove it. Yeah. And get in, I mean, this is a game of competition. Let's, let, let's, let's all love basketball together Let's all elevate the game together, but let's do it in a fun, I want someone to to challenge it. But in those two years since we launched it, we were able to raise a million dollars and put it to work for new basketball courts in our downtown area, renovate existing basketball park courts, outdoor courts in our our region. Um, We actually are now, by decree of the Spokane City Council, we are Hooptown USA. So we got street signs up now. And like, if you've been to Nashville, like when you get off at the airport, you get hit over the head with country music. Like, you know exactly where you're at. Well, when you get off at the airport in Spokane, I want you to get hit with a chess pass. Like, boom, we're <laughs> back. It's back. Hooptown USA. Here we are. You go to Hoop Fest. Everybody's got that feeling of it. This is awesome. Everybody's connected. It gives everybody this connectivity. I mean, it's not like exclusive. It's totally inclusive. And I think you meet new friends. You see old friends. I mean, it's more than basketball, but it's, 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 it's inclusive. That's what it's inclusive. Mm. It is. And it's all levels. You don't have to be elite. You can just go play basketball. Like, and I think that's what the, one of the beautiful things uh, about hoop fest is that it isn't this have and have not world. It's just like, come yeah. on, yeah, get your J's up. Like we, we joke, like if you have to come to Spokane and you got to choose between, let's say you still have family here, or you're from your family. And you got to choose between Christmas and Hoop Fest. You choose Hoop Fest. <laughs> like it, it is. It's, oh, it yeah. is our holiday, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and it it's it, it's a melting pot. It's our most diverse, our most inclusive, to Greg's point, and our most vibrant weekend of the calendar year. I mean, Spokane never looks like this, uh, other than Hoop Fest, which is a beautiful thing. I guess you feel pretty good going to work each day. 
It's easy to get out of bed. Yeah, for sure. I have seen you play. I've been around you enough to know we're both freaking competitive, but I'm going to follow you as a leader, whether you know what you're doing or not, because, because you care. I love that you're emotional. It's inspiring. I love that. So I, 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 yeah. I feel exactly the same way. And, and we've heard other people say it and we say it that people don't care how much, you know, they want to know how much you care. Yeah. And that's, that's the truth. I have really, really enjoyed meeting you. I'm honored to be on this call with both you guys. Matt, is there anything else you'd like to say to anybody who's watching this? Just just try to do your best every day. I think, I mean, I think people need to hear it because, you know, and, and doing your best is enough. Like doing the best, being the best version of yourself, it is enough. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I, I can only assume you all enjoyed listening to Matt Santangelo as much as Greg and I enjoyed interviewing him. What I appreciate most about Matt is his modesty, as is exemplified by all our 3P champions, and the fact that he strives to be great at whatever he's doing. And I also really appreciate his civic pride. Yeah, Rob, when I listen to him talk, I'm totally engaged because I love his passion. I love how he wears his emotions on his sleeve and he cares. The guy represents three Ps, but he's just a winner. I like how he's a servant. He gives credit to everybody else. He's a humble guy and his passion is felt when you listen to him talk. So that was a great conversation, Rob. Greg, thanks for everything. You're incredible. I love you and I uh, admire thanks, you. Thanks, Rob. Love you too, brother. All right. Till next time.